You are listening to Bear in Mind, the University of Northern Colorado's official podcast. Join us each episode as we listen to the voices from UNC faculty, staff, students, and alumni as they offer insights of local or national importance. This is your host, Dan N. Cox, bringing you just a taste of UNC. My name is Dr. Cliff Leak. I'm an assistant professor of sociology here at UNC. Folks may have noticed that in the news recently there's been a lot of stories, um, I think sort of the floodgates kind of opened with Harvey uh, Weinstein, a lot of stories of uh, sexual harassment and sexual violence uh, in workplaces, in families, uh, things like that. There's been a, um, when I say the floodgates have opened, I mean that there's been uh, a lot of really high profile stories of, of celebrities and other high profile folks, including, you know, the President of the United States, who have been accused of sexual violence or, in the case of our President, have, have admitted to perpetrators harassment and sexual violence. Uh, so it's really a national conversation right now uh, about sexual harassment and sexual violence. Um, and as that conversation has been going on, everyone rightfully is asking the question of what can we do about it? Uh, and women have been asking themselves what can we do about it for, for centuries, right? Um, but the conversation among men about what can we do about it is, is relatively new, um, especially to the mainstream conversation. So there have been uh, branches of the feminist movement where men have been involved in, in asking this question of what can men do about sexual violence uh, for the last couple of decades, but for it to really become a mainstream conversation uh, is relatively new. And I think in part that's um, a response to these high profile allegations. So I think there's been tension building around this issue for a long time. Um, so. There have been high-profile allegations in the past. Like it's really easy to think of things like the the Kobe Bryant case, for instance, um, or the Sandusky cases. Um, we do have high-profile cases in the past. Uh, one of the things that was interesting about the the Weinstein case uh, is that there was a power differential between um, the perpetrator and and the survivors, right? Uh, and in this case, the survivors carried more cultural clout and more cultural power than, than the perpetrator did. And I think that's one of the reasons why uh, we're having such an open and honest conversation about it, uh, is because there's so many survivors with a lot of cultural power right now. Um, so we're much more willing to listen to them and believe them. Uh, where in the past, oftentimes uh, we have high profile men um, at the receiving end of allegations from women who have a lot less power and it's a lot easier for us as a society to, to dismiss them and to not believe them. If you were to have asked me, you know, 20 years ago, um, what's the role of men in the feminist movement? I'd say, you know, well, men aren't necessarily feminists. We can be pro-feminists. Um, we can be supportive of feminist organizing, but um, for men to call themselves feminists was, was kind of outlandish 20, 30 years ago, right? Um, and the distinction between pro-feminist and feminist is this idea that um, even men who are involved in feminist activism are oftentimes engaging in problematic behavior or are perpetrators themselves. Um, so maybe that title or that label of feminist isn't something that men should be giving ourselves or giving each other, right? So uh, maybe it's in our best interest for men to consider ourselves pro-feminist. We can say we're supporting feminist movements and engaging in that sort of activism. Um, but so long as there are questions about uh, our own behaviors and our own, um, the own, 
our own lives, right? Um, then maybe it's not appropriate for us to call ourselves feminists. But th I think that conversation is changing drastically, uh, especially with with the realization that like feminists don't always like feminist women don't always get everything right either, right? Um, so you don't have to be perfect to be to consider yourself a feminist, right? You have to care about these issues. You have to work on these issues, um, but you don't have to get everything right all the time to be a feminist. Uh, so that's one of the ways that men's role has changed. Um, there are also changes in the way in regard to what men can actually do or are actually doing in feminist organizing. So. 20, 30 years ago, the idea of engaging men in feminist activism was, okay, we need to address men because men are part of the problem. Um, so that's that's why we need to be working with men, uh, is to prevent them from being the problem. Um, but that conversation has also shifted, especially when you look at uh, activists that are involved in the work and nonprofit organizations that are doing work with men and boys. Um, the way they talk about men's engagement has changed. It's no longer we need to work with men as part of the problem. It's we need to work with men as part of the solution. Um, men need to be having these conversations with each other. Um, we need to be having these conversations with our brothers, with our friends, with our fathers, with our sons. Um, we need to be active parts of the solution rather than only working with men as you know, preventing perpetration or preventing men from being part of the problem. In terms of the activist movement to engage men and boys in the US, um, the vast majority of it is actually happening on college campuses. Universities are a perfect place for these conversations to be happening. Uh, all over the country, there are dozens of student organizations. Um, oftentimes, they call them, you know, ex-university men against violence. So when I was in undergrad, I was part of Willamette University Men Against Violence, and it was a group of men that got together every couple of weeks to sit around and, and talk about these issues. But we also put uh, put on programming to educate other men on these issues. Um, so that's one of the things the university can do is sponsor a program like that, where we train um, men on college campuses who are passionate about these issues, who care about these issues, to be peer educators, uh, help them develop the tools that they need to talk to their peers about these issues. The problem usually isn't that there aren't enough men that care. Ask around this campus and I'm sure you can find plenty of men that care, um, but so often you ask them like, well, what are you doing about it? And the answer is, I don't really know what to do about it. Like, I don't, I don't have the skills to have these conversations. I don't know, uh, I don't know what the who the right people are to have these conversations with. And those are things that we can, we can. Those are teachable. We can, we can train uh, young men on how to have those conversations, how to reach out to other men. Um, and I think that's a big, big way that universities can can support this work. So another way that universities can get involved is through supporting programs like MVP. It's a program, uh, it's Mentors in Violence Prevention. Uh, it's a program designed to engage male athletes as leaders on campus uh, on issues of, of sexual violence prevention and preventing sexual harassment. Uh, so MVP is based out of Northeastern University, but they go all over the country and do trainings and, and train um, sports team captains on how to be leaders on these issues so that they can address these issues as they come up in the locker room. They can address them with their teams. Uh, I know they've also done work with the U.S. military, uh, training men in the military to address these issues among their ranks, uh, as well as in fraternities. Uh, so supporting programs like that um, by bringing them here to consult with our athletic department, for instance, uh, programs like that are another great way that uh, universities can get involved in these issues.
So here at UNC, I teach a, a variety of classes in sociology. So this semester I'm teaching sociology of minorities, which is being retitled to be uh, race, racism, and power. Uh, so if you want, if you're interested in that, uh, think about taking that in the fall. Um, and the reason why I bring that one up is that just as much as I am interested in men's involvement in feminism, I'm also interested in white folks' involvement in anti-racism. Uh, so if you're a white person interested in, uh, in, the, in the problem of racism and how, how we can be involved in addressing it, uh, that's a great class for you. Um, this coming spring, I'm also going to be teaching sociology of gender. Uh, so if these conversations about masculinity and femininity and everything in between uh, and everything beyond the binary, right, um, it's a great place to have those conversations and, and learn about learn about these issues and explore what sort of activism is happening on these issues as well. Um, Beyond my own teaching uh, in the sociology department, there's lots of classes available on these topics. So um, everything I'm talking about right now is, is, is thinking sociologically about these problems as social problems. Uh, and if that's a way of thinking that you find intriguing, uh, check out a sociology class. Um, if it's the gender stuff in, in particular that you find interesting, definitely check out some courses in gender studies as well. Mm -hmm.